What's up, everybody? It's Thursday. Almost there. We're almost to the end of the week for those of you that look forward to Friday and getting the weekend off. This weekend, I'm off as well as far as music and gigs go. And I got offered a gig for Saturday, but I'm taking the weekend off. It's Easter. It's Easter weekend and I was like, no, I'm just going to chill. I'm not going to worry about much as far as the music or anything having to do with uh, with extra work. And, of course, this goes back to just balance of, you know, workaholism to, okay, what am I going to do with that? extra money, you know, what time am I going to lose, what time, what what time will I gain, um, stuff like that, so my, my final decision was, you know what, I'm just going to take the weekend off, enjoy, it. I'm still playing Friday, me and Eddie have a little acoustic gig, and that'll be good, but today, I'm going to try my best to go through a chapter in Jordan Peterson's book titled 12 Rules for Life. And the chapter I've read for this week, um, it's titled "Compare Yourself to Who You Were Yesterday, Not who Someone, Not Who Someone Else Is Today." And I'm gonna try my best to stay in order. And if, and really, I'm gonna I'm gonna read through it and read the points that I highlighted. I, I have a lot of little of my little book tabs in here, and that's basically what I'm gonna go through. And I'll probably try to give some feedback as to, okay, this is why this got me. This is why this got me. But essentially, I'm still pondering on it myself. So in reading it out loud, we'll see what, what happens. So we're, I'm going to jump right in. Again, it's, it's rule four. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else. Not to, not, not to who someone else is today. Here you go. It was easier for people to be good at something when more of us lived in small rural communities. Someone could be homecoming queen. Someone else could be spelling bee champ, math whiz, or base basketball star. There were only one or two mechanics and a couple of teachers. Each, in each of their domains, these local heroes had the opportunity to enjoy the serotonin fueled confidence of the victor. It may be for that reason that people who were born in small towns are statistically overrepresented among the eminent among the eminent. If you're one in a million now but originated in modern New York, there's twenty of you. And most of us and now and most of us now live in cities. What's more, we have become digitally connected to the entire seven billion. Our hierarchies of accomplishment are now dizzying, dizzyingly vertical. No matter how good you are at something or how you rank your accomplishments, there is someone out there who makes you look incompetent. You're a decent guitar player, but you're not Jimmy Page or Jack White. You're almost certainly not even going to rock your local pub. You're, you're a good cook, but there are many great chefs. Your mother's recipe for fish heads and rice no matter how celebrated in her village of origin, doesn't cut it these days of grapefruit, foam, and scotch tobacco ice cream. Some mafia don has a tackier yacht. Some obsessive CEO has a more, has a more complicated self-winding watch kept in his more valuable mechanical hardwood and steel automatic self-winding watch case. Even the most stunning Hollywood actress eventually transforms into the evil queen on eternal paranoid watch for the new Snow White. And you? Your career is boring and pointless. Your housekeeping skills are second rate. Your taste is appalling. You're fatter than your friends and everyone dreads your parties. Who cares if you are Prime Minister of Canada when someone else is the President of the United States? And that there's the little intro and it's not self-evident Again, I, I, I feel, and Jocko says this a lot, where 
you know, oh, common sense. He actually said that a lot in, uh, I believe, this week's podcast. His podcast for this week, uh, where a lot of, he's like, common sense is a very, to me, it's, it, it can be, it can become a very vague term because if it's not taught, if it's not, it's instinctual, or if you weren't, if you were not allowed to, to go on instinct, then a lot of things aren't common sense. By now, he's had so much experience. Was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That, that duh. But again, it's he, he. I mean, and I believe he did bring up like you know, it's a lot of it's simple, but we still don't do it. You know, it's not easy. It's not the easiest thing to do because we're still human beings. We still have a lot of emotional attachment, emotional attachment. But um, it's just it's just one of those things. And and as far as this little intro, you know, it it says it there. You know, you're a, even here. You're a decent guitar player, but you're not Jimmy Page or Jack White. And funny thing, when when I read that sentence again out loud, or now out loud, uh, I mean the the opportunity that I personally have ha- have had, you know, these pa- past five years going on six years, you know, 2018 will be my sixth year completed to be playing live music. And while I've freelanced some, you know, I've had, um, I've been technically in two solid bands uh, or two bands full time at two different times. But it's, uh, it's interesting how, I guess, the majority of people out there maybe wanting to play live they don't take the jump or you know because they're scared for they don't want to take the risk maybe they don't maybe they maybe they, maybe it's just a hobby so they don't even think about playing at the local pub as as Jordan Peterson puts here but we're going to keep moving standards of better or worse are not illusory or unnecessary if you hadn't un- if you hadn't decided that you were doing right now what if you hadn't decided what that damn it standards of better or worse are not illusory or unnecessary if you hadn't decided that what you are doing right now was better than the alternatives you wouldn't be doing it the idea of value-free choice is a contradiction in terms. Value judgments are a precondition for action. Furthermore, every activity, once chosen, comes with its own internal standards of accomplishment. If something can be done at all, it can be done better or worse. To do anything at all is therefore to play a game with a defined and valued end, which can always be reached more or less efficiently and elegantly. Each game, every game comes with its chance of success or failure. Differentials in quality are omnipresent. Furthermore, if there was no better or worse, nothing would be worth doing. There would be no value and therefore no meaning. Why make an effort if it doesn't improve anything? Meaning itself requires the difference between better or worse. How, then, can the voice of critical self-consciousness be stilled where are the flaws in the apparently impeccable logic of its message we might start by considering the all two black and white words themselves success or failure you are either a success a comprehensive singular overall good thing or its opposite a failure a comprehensive singular irredeemably bad thing the words the words imply no alternative and no middle ground However, in a world of as complex as ours, such generalizations, really such a failure to differentiate, are a sign of naive, unsophisticated, or even malevolent analysis. There are vital degrees in, gradua- in gra- gradations of value obliterated by this binary system, and the consequences are not good. The main thing I took away from that was the success or failure, and how... Sometimes, at least at least up until I had to figure that I have had to figure this out by myself. But it's like, okay, well, what does that mean to you? And that question I got from Jordan Peterson, apart apart from one of his videos, but I had to ask myself, like, okay, what does success mean? And so that's why I start asking people, whether it's on the podcast or maybe in conversation in person. It's I ask, okay, well, what what does success mean to you? And it's it's interesting because I started thinking about success before I read this book and before Jordan Peterson before I started listening to Jordan Peterson lectures, but 
but in asking it, I hadn't asked for a while, and then and then reading this book, it's like you know, where you're the successor or failure. It's like people maybe get down about it. It's like, well, hold on. What what is your what is your definition definition of success? Because it's probably different from mine, and you want different things than I want, and people put themselves in a hole. I, I, I don't know. I can't, I couldn't say if I've done that for myself as far as put myself in a hole because I've compared myself to anybody else. Um, I know I've looked up to other people, uh, but I, I feel, I feel honestly like it's been a while since I have said, Oh man, you know, I'm a, I'm not successful because I'm not like this person. Um, I, I, I feel like I've steered away from that pretty early on and I, I'm glad I have. And, you know, in reading this, it's like, okay, you know, define it for yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. When it comes to this, you know, everybody has different career goals. Everybody has different life goals, period, which life, of course, encompasses your personal life, career, uh, maybe spiritual goals, maybe uh, health goals, all of the above. All right, back to the book. It's also unlikely that you're playing only one game. You have a career and friends and family members and personal projects and artistic endeavors and athletic pursuits. You might consider judging your success across all the games you play. Imagine that you are very good at some, middling with, at others, and terrible at the remainder. Perhaps that's how it should be. You might object. I should be winning at everything. But winning at everything might only mean that you're not doing anything new or difficult. You might be winning but you are not growing and growing might be the most important form of winning should victory in the present always take precedence over trajectory across time. Essentially just what I said. Um, and as far as the growth, it's interesting because I only, so many of you are going to listen to this podcast and hopefully use it for yourself and then take it out and maybe use it, maybe expand on it. Um, a conversation I had on social media, very short conversation, because I, I, I steered it a certain way on purpose. Had to do with bullying, but the point is, um, that person that I was, that I communicated with brought up President Trump and how I, as long as they're in power, we can't make change and this and that. So I steered the conversation and I'm like, well, what are we, at, at the end of the, at the end of my piece, and you can go to my Facebook and read this, but at the end of my piece, I said, you know, so what are we as adults going to do? Because he, he brought, uh, entailing bullying, he's like, you know, President Trump is the bully of, of all, you know, of all men or whatever. What, I forgot what it said. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, I'm like, well, he doesn't bully me. I still wake up when I want. I go to sleep when I want. I read this, I read this book. I've read other books. I go and take pictures. I eat. I sleep. Um, I don't have to watch the news if I don't want to. You know, I'm not made. I'm not, I don't have to do anything. It's making a choice, and then, and then he followed his 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 next response was, um, well, I, I I should just become a better per I should be a better person than, I should be a better person to students than what President Trump is to people. It's like okay, well then just do that. That's all you can do. Now that that's my whole point. And I, I didn't even reply after that because I was like, there, that's it. That's all that matters. That's all you whatever you can do in your hands. That's all you can do. And in this case, we're growth and. I guess growing versus being successful, you know, it, there's an interesting, not, I wouldn't say balance, but there's an interesting comparison maybe, not quite dichotomy either, but just where, oh, I succeeded at this. It's like, okay, cool. You know, who did it? And then, I mean, I guess, I guess maybe Jordan Pearson also means, you know, how, how much, how much did it help somebody else? How much did it really help you grow? And what and what are you gonna do to what are you gonna do next to build upon what you've learned or what or now that you've reached your success what are you gonna do now um, are you gonna stay there and just live off of that or are you gonna keep growing all right back to the book when we are very young we are neither individual nor informed we have not had the time nor gained the wisdom to develop our own standards in consequence we must compare ourselves to others because standards are necessary. Without them, there is nowhere to go or nothing, and nothing to do. As we mature, we become, by contrast, increasingly individual and unique. The conditions of our lives become more and more personal and less and less comparable to those of others. Symbolically speaking, this means that we must leave the house ruled by our Father and confront the chaos of our individual being. 
we must take note of our disarray without completely abandoning the father, that father in the process. We must then rediscover the values of our culture, veiled from us by our ignorance, hidden in the dusty treasure trove of the past. Rescue them and integrate them into our own lives. This is what gives existence its full and necessary meaning. Who are you? You think you know, but maybe you don't. You are, for example, neither your own master nor your own slave. You cannot easily tell yourself what to do and compel your own obedience any more than you can easily tell your husband, wife, son, or daughter what to do and compel, and compel theirs. You are interested in some things and not in others. You can shape that interest, but there are limits. Some activities will always engage you, and others simply will not. You have a nature. You can play the tyrant to it, but you will certainly rebel. How hard can you force yourself to work and sustain your desire to work? How much can you sacrifice to your partner before generosity turns to resentment? What is it that you actually love? What is it that you genuinely want? Before you can articulate your own standards of value, you must see yourself as a stranger, and then you must get to know yourself. What do you find valuable or pleasurable? How much leisure, enjoyment, and reward do you require so that you feel like more than a beast of burden? How, much, how must you treat yourself so you won't kick over the traces and smash up the, your coral? You could force yourself through your daily grind and kick your dog in frustration when you come home. You could watch the precious days tick by, or you could learn how to entice yourself into sustainable, productive activity. Do you ask yourself what you want? Do you negotiate fairly with yourself? Or are you a tyrant with yourself as a slave? And there was two points that I, that I had, had marked. And, ba and essentially the first one was, we're symbolic, symbolically speaking, that me this means we must leave the house ruled by our father. And that's, that's probably the biggest one that I, I know I've talked about, over, not, maybe not over and over forever, but um, it's come up where you know that detachment from parents some handle it better than others whether whether it's you as a parent detaching from your child or you as a child now leaving home for the first time or maybe you're getting older and it's like man I'm, i still live at my parents house and i know i'm definitely pushing and pulling with that and with some changes that are coming up soon um, it's gonna hopefully help me allow or i guess allow myself to to really venture on my own and then and then hopefully I, I, I want to bring back good and 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 helpful maybe tools but i know this one definitely hit me as far as that you know leaving the leaving your father's house to go, then figure out your own being and become an individual and then once you're able to figure that out once i'm able to figure that out you know get back and and continue i don't want to say promoting but uh maybe pushing that idea of, okay, you know, become the individual, learn about yourself, figure things out for yourself, and then work your way outward. Um, Sturgill Simpson had a very good way of saying, the, the, saying it this last time he was on Joe Rogan, where he talks about, you know, if you're under 30, essentially, and working in the entertainment business, whether it's stand-up or mu music specifically, but I can I feel like any type of entertainment service such as comedy or music, uh, you get a lot of influence. You have a lot of information coming into you that maybe you want to emulate. Maybe want to you want to be like this person. You want to be like that person. But like him, he says, you know, starting at the age I think he started at thirty five, he was working out. Now he 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 already had so much. He had already he had already had he already had this experience of life thirty five years. Where it's like now he can talk about okay this is me this is what I do he has a very uh, what Jordan Peterson would call individualism or you know what he's talking what we're talking about here in the in the story in the book not story in the book but you know working outward now because you have this experience you've had this time to you've had all this time to think and grow and really uh, make yourself independent to then make art that is only yours and I mean Sturgill clearly has done that. Second point is all those questions that I brought up. You know, how hard can you force yourself to work and sustain your desire to work? How much can you sacrifice to your partner before generosity turns to resentment? And it's interesting because 
for me, that second question, how much sacrifice to your partner, um, you can even expand that, you know, to coworkers or, or uh, honestly, and even in, in my case, as far as like working in a band, there's five of us. So it's a very small network of, of bodies that are, that make, I guess, make this group. And, you know, if you can be, sometimes people can become bitter and even mentally, like I know sometimes even mentally it's like, man, like shit, like why, why did this happen? Or this shouldn't have happened or any, any of the stupidest things where then there's the resentment after it's like, man, you know, you don't want, you, you shouldn't get to that point. And I think, I believe there's a point here where I highlight where it talks about resentment. It talks about, you know, stopping before stopping on the way up so that you don't end up in the resentment. And I'm going to continue with a book because I know we're going to hit that at some point. All right, moving on. I had a client decades ago who suffered from severe obsessive compulsive disorder. He had a lineup. He had to line up his pajamas just right before he could go to sleep at night. Then he had to fluff his pillow. Then he had to adjust the bed sheets over and over and over and over. I said, maybe that part of you, that insanely persistent part, wants something inarticulate though it may be. Let's ha- let it have its say. What could it be? He said. Control, I said. Oh, no. What could it be? He said, control. I said, close your eyes and let it tell you what it wants. Don't let fear stop you. You don't have to act it out just because you're thinking it. He, he said, it wants, me to, to make, to, it wants me to take my stepfather by the collar, put him up against the door, and shake him like a rat. Maybe it was time to shake someone like a rat, although I suggested something a bit less primal. But God only knows what battles must be fought forthrightly, voluntarily, on the road to peace. What do you do to avoid conflict, necessary though it may be? What are you inclined to lie about, assuming that the truth might be intolerable? What do you fake? Interesting, me and Gandhi just had a little conversation last night about fake. The infant is dependent on his parents for almost everything he needs. The child, the successful child, can leave his parents at least temporarily and make friends. He gives up a little of himself to do that, but gains much in return. The successful adolescent must take the pro- that process to its logical conclusion. He has to leave his parents and l- become like everyone else. He has to integrate with the group so that so he can transcend his childhood dependency. Once integrated, the successful adult must then must learn how to be just the right amount different from everyone else be cautious when comparing when you're comparing yourself to others you're a singular being once you're an adult you have your own particular specific problems financial intimate psychological and otherwise those are embedded in the unique broader context of your existence your career or job works for you in a personal manner or it does not and it does so in a unique interplay with the other specifics of your life. You must decide how much of your time to spend on this and how much on that. You must decide what to let go and what to pursue. And that whole part, I mean, like, you can buy the book and read yourself. It's on page 91. You know, starting from the client who had the o, uh, OCD. And then, you know, it, I think the main reason I, I first highlighted this part before I read, the, before I continued to read was the fact that you know, don't let fear stop you. And then saying that it that the what's moving him is that he wants to shake get get his stepfather by the collar and put him up against the door and then shake him like a rat. That's that's pretty interesting insight on on himself when he realized you know when Jordan, when Jordan Peterson was able to get this out of him. It's like, oh, well, that's just the way I am, or or I have to do this, or I have to do that. And then because you, we can very easily tie this into like addiction, and uh, any, of anything. And when he said that, I was like, whoa, that's that's pretty deep. And even Jordan Peterson, you know, Jordan Peterson said, although I suggested something a, a bit less primal, but to get to that point where it's like, okay, this is the root of the problem. And even I, uh, Doctor G- Gaber. My, 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 I think it's Meite. Um, 
I, I listened to it. I listened to a podcast yesterday with that, that that same podcast with Tim Ferriss yesterday that I uh, had showed with JC. But I I now forgot again the how to pronounce his name. But it's Gabe. It's Gabor, Doctor Gabor M A T E with an accent on the E. Either way, it, I feel like it ties into that. And then the general question here says, "What do you do to avoid conflict, necessary though it may be?" And definitely. I definitely try to avoid avoiding conflict where, okay, if something's, if it's necessary, okay. And of course, because then we can get into like ego checks and okay, is this really important? You know, what's it going to affect? How's the bigger picture? You know, um, in my understanding correctly, you know, is this conflict, um, let's say it's necessary, but you know, what, what, is it, what would, what would be, what would then be the next step? And is it just my ego being being pushed, or is it something like, okay, hey, did, did we did we really think about this thoroughly? All right, we can move on. But we can see, we can even see things that aren't there. We can envision new ways that things could be better. We can construct new hypothetical words where problems we weren't even aware of can now show themselves and be addressed the advantages of this are obvious we can change the world so that the intolerable state of the present can be rectified in the future the disadvantage to all of this foresight and creativity is chronic unease and discomfort because we always contrast that contrast what is with what contrast what is with what could be with what is, with what could be. We have to aim at what could be. But we can aim too high or too low or too chaotically. So we fail to and live in disappointment, even when we appear to others to be living well. How can we benefit from our imaginativeness, our ability to improve the future without continually denig denigrating our current insufficiently successful and worthless lives? And that one is a is you know the the dichotomies of themselves is when you, when you choose to take something on something that you see that would be beneficial. It's like okay, well, I know this new piece of information, and he says he says he says it himself. We can aim too high or too low, or too chaotically. I'm gonna move on. The first step, perhaps, is to take stock. Who are you? When you buy a house and prepare to live in it, you hire an, an inspector to list all of its faults, as it is, in reality, now, not as you wish it could be. You'll even pay him for the bad news. You need to know. You need to discover the home's hidden flaws. You need to know whether they are cosmetic imperfections or structural inadequacies. In, 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 adequacies. You need to know because you can't fix something if you don't know it's broken and you're broken. You need an inspector, the internal critic. It could play that role if you could get it on track, if you and it could co cooperate. It could help you take stock, but you must walk through your psychological house with it and listen judiciously to what it says. Maybe you're a handyman's dream a real fixer-upper. How can you start your renovations without being demoralized, even crushed by your internal critic's lengthy and painful report of your inadequacies? And that was one of my main highlights for this part because starting from the, as far as the failure and, and uh, aiming too high or too low, but you know, taking stock at the beginning and realizing, okay, what what's my problem? And, I, and it's interesting because, of course, before reading this book, before this book was even out, and I talked about this early last year, uh, where I brought up, like, as far as being addicted to sugar and dealing with that and still working through that now. And hopefully my goal for April is to cut off a lot of things indefinitely and be rid of, the addiction part that that's the that's the 
part. And and it's interesting because I, I feel like maybe it'll be easier now because I've been really dissecting myself. Um, and, and even then, I try to keep it, op- keep it optimistic. Like, hey, I, I'm trying to do this to get better. And, and that self-talk, you know, improving the self-talk, maybe not every day or maybe not every moment, but if I can keep the majority of my self-talk good to myself, it'll then uh, project out but also then help me actually get over these things. And even if you have me on, on uh, Instagram or, or uh, Snapchat, you'll see I got I bought some sugar. Or, no, okay, that's wrong. I didn't buy sugar cookies. I got them bought for me because others know that I'm going on a heavy trek, which I'll probably talk about next week as far as like fasting and, and uh, just cutting. I'm not going to call it a diet. I'm just going to cut a lot. And uh, I want to get my body fat percentage down. And that's probably the main goal. So I'm going to be cutting out a lot. Of, anyways. Um, and then that last, okay, go back to the book where he's, you know, reiterating this last question. He, he, he asks, he's like, how can you start your renovations without being demoralized, even crushed by your internal critics, lengthy and painful report of your inadequacies? In, inadequ- inadequacies. And that that's just what I said, where it's like, you know, face that, face, face. You have to put your, I mean, at least for me, I have to put my ego side. And that's always my first suggestion. And I wouldn't suggest something that I haven't done myself and I'm not, that I'm not working on it, at least, at the very least. Like, hey, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm going through, and this is how I'm trying to deal with it. Back to the book. Call upon properly the internal critic will suggest something to set in order, which you could set in order, which you would set in order, voluntarily, without resentment, even with pleasure. Ask yourself, is there one thing that exists in disarray in your life or your situation that could and would set straight? Could you and would you fix that one thing that announces itself itself humbly in need of repair? Could you do it now? Imagine that you are someone with whom you must negotiate. Imagine further that you are lazy, touchy, resentful, and hard to get along with. With that attitude, it's not going to be easy to get you moving. You might have to use a little charm and playfulness. Excuse me, you might say to yourself, without irony or sarcasm. I'm trying to reduce some of the unnecessary suffering around here. I could use some help. Keep the derision at bay. I'm wondering if there's anything that you would be willing to do. I am grateful for your service. Ask honestly and with humility. That's no simple matter. And again, it goes back to self-talk. And it's interesting because for me, what's helped me is just reading the book, period, before I you know, bring it to the podcast or before I choose to bring some, some of these parts to the podcast. But it goes back to that self-talk of, of hey, you're a human being. I'm a human being. My brain is allowing me to think like this and... Uh, hopefully lead to a conclusion of okay this is how we're going to build this is how we're going to grow and it's interesting because even it says you know one thing you could fix now and so on you know the biggest thing that i'm worth that again going back to for my april deal is well, i guess i might as well just talk about it little by little here but um realizing how much carbs slow me down whether it's on my run whether it's uh on my daily basis just my day my day of doing things in general, not necessarily working out, but just going about my day, you know, how, how tired am I here? How tired am I there? You know, um, I lately, I've been really going back to the short amount of sleep. So let's say five hours of sleep with an hour nap in between. Now, mind you, I know I don't, I mean, my, the way I work for money is different. So I'm allowed, you know, a lunch or not. Yeah. I guess, I guess a lunch nap. That's what I, that's what I call it where I, I'd, I'll have some lunch and, um, Maybe within a couple, maybe an hour and a half or so after eating, I'll I'll take an hour nap. But either way, back to back to like the whole carb thing is like, man, carbs really slow me down mentally and then and then physically as well. And then uh, back to this little point, you know, called upon properly, the internal critic will suggest something to set an order, which you could set an order, in which you would set an order. You know, and. And I will continue here, but, you know, he talk, He also goes into, and I'll probably read it at some point, but he goes into finding the simplest piece. So let's say you want to lose 20 pounds, 
and you're and you go to the gym one day, but then you burn out because you worked out for three hours, and then you don't work out for the next week because you're so you're too sore to move. Well, how about you walk for thirty minutes a day, and write down, okay, I walk today, I walk today, I walk today, and you try to do that for four days, one week, and then you do that for five days the next week, or or maybe you do thirty minutes one day. Or maybe you do 30 minutes for two days, and then you do an hour for the next two days, or something. It doesn't matter, but the point is to start the simplest piece and work up. Find where you find where you where you will be consistent, and then build on that. And frankly, that that's that's all I've been working on for the past two years. Whether it's reading, whether it's my workouts, and now finally finding some things that I like to repeat, and then building on that versus. Uh, Taking so much information, we're—I mean, we have the internet, so we have so much information in our hands. But at some point, you gotta just go, and that's why—that—that's my whole thing—is move. You know, even when I'm—I've I'm, been helping at nine round a lot, and I'm basically back. But uh, the point is, when I go and I see people doing push-ups, they're like, "No, stop! I don't care if it takes you three minutes to do ten push-ups, do them right. I don't want you underdeveloping your shoulders or." Uh, hurting your wrist or anything like that. It's like just just do it right because that's gonna help you better in the long or it's gonna help you more in the long run than you doing ten push-ups in ten seconds. But yet you're not going all the way down. Terrible technique. You're putting too much pressure on your wrists. Uh, a bunch of variables that that could be possible. Man, we at thirty minutes. Jesus. Um. Let's keep going. You might ask yourself, what could I say to someone else, my friend, my brother, my boss, my assistant, that would set things a bit more right between us tomorrow? What bit of chaos might I eradicate at home, on my desk, in my kitchen tonight so that the stage could be set for a better play? What snakes might, ban might I banish from my closet and my mind? 500 small decisions, 500 tiny actions compose your day, today and every day. Could you aim one or two of these at a better result, better in your own private opinion, by your own individual standards? Could you compare your specific personal tomorrow with your specific personal yesterday? Could you use your own judgment and ask yourself what that better tomorrow might be? And here we go. This, this is exactly what I just talked about. Aim small. You don't want to shoulder too much to begin with, given your limited talents, tendency to deceive, burden of resentment, and ability to shirk responsibility. Thus, you set the following goal. By the end of the day, I want things in my life to be a tiny bit better than they were this morning. Then you ask yourself, what could I do that I would do that would accomplish that? And what small thing would I like as a reward? Then you do what you have decided to do, even if you do it badly. Then you give yourself a damn coffee in triumph. Maybe you feel a bit stupid about it, but you do it anyway. You do the same thing tomorrow and the next day and the next. And with each day, your baseline of comparison gets a little higher, and that's magic. That's compound interest. Do that for three years, and your life will be entirely different. Now you're aiming for something higher. Now you're wishing, upon a, wishing on a star... Now the beam is disappearing from your eye and you're learning to see. And you aim at and what you aim at determines what you see. That's worth repeating. What you aim at determines what you see. And exactly what I mean what I just said. I, I I'm I'm glad I, I'm glad I came up when it did, but all I can reiterate is is Pay attention to yourself. I know, I know, I've been, I've, I deal with this myself as far as the self talk again. But, and then the whole reward system, we'll say, it, it's tough. You know, for me, you know, there's this little belt in the, that, that there's at the gym for clients to ring, like, oh, thanks for a great workout. So they ring the bell in, in, in lieu of, uh, of rewarding the trainers for, for training them. And for me, it's like, I don't, why, why should I ring the, why should anybody ring the bell for me? It's like, this is my job. My job is to give you a great workout. I don't understand why I need that bell. 
and not that I not that I personally need it, but I as a trainer, we as trainers, it's like no, that's what we're getting paid to do. I I expect nothing less. But you hear it over and over again. You know, where where you have to you should reward yourself. And Tony Robbins talks about this. Doctor Jordan Peterson just talked about it here in the book. But you know, giving yourself little rewards. Now the rewards should be healthy. Not a piece of candy or a donut or anything like that, which I'm on that track, but I'm trying to get off of it uh, again. But figuring out that reward system to say, hey, like, or like he says here, you know, have a damn coffee and triumph. Boom. That's it. Simple. I don't know. It's, it's super interesting because I, I lately I've been constantly thinking back to a conversa- conversation me and Gonzo had a while back. It was cold as hell. Well, hell, it was not cold, but it was cold as cold could get. And it was at night, and we were drinking outside. And, and he's like, he's like, how do you know what to read? How do you know who to listen to? How do you know who to trust? And, and for me, these are this is one of those moments. like the, Or this book is one of those books for me where I'm just like, it just, it it doesn't make sense. What well, Okay, what makes sense is to keep reading and to take this in and then hopefully help others understand it. Because also a lot of people will read the beginning of this book and be like, oh, no, that's too difficult for me. It's like, well, no, if you take your time with it, again, we can use a push-up analogy. It's like you just kind of take it piece by piece. And if you don't understand the page, reread it. A lot of people want to get it the first time, and they're so scared of failing understand, failing understanding that it's like they, they'd rather not read it or try to, try to understand it themselves. So I then get to interpret it and hopefully clear it up for people and we will go back to the book imagine that you're unhappy you're not getting what you need (coughs) excuse me perversely this may be because of what you want you are blind because of what you desire perhaps what you really need is right in front of your eyes but you cannot see it because of what you are currently aiming for and that brings us to something else the price that must be paid before you or anyone can get what they want or better yet, what they need. Think about it this way. You look at the world in your particular idiosyncratic manner. You use a set of tools to screen the most thing to screen most things out and let some things in. You have spent a lot of time building those tools. They've become habitual. They're not mere abstract thoughts. They're built right into you. They orient you in the world. They they're your deepest and often implicit and unconscious values. They've become a part of your biological structure. They're alive and they don't want to disappear or transform or die. But sometimes their time has come and new things need to be born. For this reason, although not only for this reason, it is necessary to let things go during the journey uphill. If things are not going well for you, well, that might be because as the most cynical of aphorisms has it, life sucks and then you die. Before your crisis impels you to that hideous conclusion however you might consider the following life doesn't have the problem you do at least that realization leaves you with some options if your life is not going well perhaps it is your current knowledge that is insufficient not life itself excuse me perhaps your value structure needs some serious retooling perhaps what you want is blinding you to what else could be Perhaps you are holding on to your desires in the present so tightly that you cannot see anything else, even what you truly need. And, I mean, these past six months for me, for, for sure, um, when I, once I read this sometime this week, between last week and this week, as I read this chapter, especially when he says, you know, Where is it? He talks about going uphill, you know, stopping as you're going uphill. Here you go. For this reason, although not only for this reason, it is necessary to let things go during the journey uphill. Uh, you know, don't tap the well. That's, uh, is it Ham- I think it's Hemingway. It's one of those famous authors that has awesome quotes. And I've talked about it over and over. I even have a title. I mean, when, when I had Eddie's brother on here, Justin, the first time, I, I put "Don't tap the well" because it's like you know what? Let's let's save some for next time. And and this is a macro as far as like okay, what do you need versus what you want? And because you're going after what you want, 
you may be blind to what you actually need. And and even now, when I've had conversations with, with my parents, they're like, what? Well, music is your dream. I'm like, well, I've for one, I've accomplished a shit ton of stuff, which I'm truly grateful for. But it's like, okay, well, getting into the, okay, what do I need at this point in my life? You know, it, it's interesting what things, what, what options can come up. And it's like, man, I never thought about that or, or maybe you never considered it had I not read these books, had I not been influenced by Joe Rogan, by Jocko, by Tim Ferriss, by Tony Robbins, by John Eldridge, by Jordan Peterson, you know, Simon Sinek, Seth Godin, all, all these guys, Joseph Campbell. I mean, those are all people that I've mentioned over and over again or I've, and, and or I've read their books. And I've it's it's allowed me to expand on myself to then again to then try to work inward to then go outward versus all the outward stuff like all the outward stuff is their material their ideas their way of living coming into me and now me trying to reverse that and project out and and uh continue on a track of individualism which i believe i guess jordan peterson would call it but anyhow um something to think about as far as you know again life doesn't have the problem you do and that goes with you know take extreme ownership realize hey i can do something about this or i cannot what how 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 much do i really care about this situation and moving on what if it was the what if it was the case that the world revealed whatever goodness it contains in precise proportion to your desire for the best. What if the more your conception of the best has been elevated, expanded, and rendered sophisticated, the more possibility and benefit you could perceive? This doesn't mean that you can have what you want merely by wishing it, or that everything is interpretation, or that there is no reality. The world is still here. With its structure and limits, as you move along with it, it cooperates or objects. But you can dance with it if your aim is to dance. Maybe you can even lead if you have enough skill and enough grace. This is not theology. It is not mysticism. It's empirical knowledge. There is nothing magical here or nothing more than the already present magic of consciousness. We only see what we aim at. The rest of the world, and that's most of it, is hidden. If we start aiming at something different, something like I want my life to be better, in our minds, our minds will own, will start presenting us with the new information derived from the previously hidden world to aid us in that pursuit. Then we can put it, that information to use and move and act and observe and improve. And after doing so, after improving, we must we might pursue something different or higher, something like I want whatever might be better than just my life being better <laughs> that's interesting i want whatever might be better than my just my life being better and then we enter a more enter a more elevated and more complete reality and that goes i mean I, i'm going to continue here but you know it goes in it goes to defining what your success is defining okay what is be, what does better mean what does better mean to me and and go from there in that back to the book in that place we might what might we focus on what might we see? Think about it like this. Start from the observation that we indeed desire things, even that we need them. That's human nature. We share the experience of hunger, loneliness, thirst, sexual desire, aggression, fear, and pain. Such things are elements of being, primordial, axiomic elements of being. But we must sort and organize these primordial, primordial desires because the world is a complex and obstacle real place we can't just get one particular thing that thing we especially just want now along with everything else we usually want because our desires can produce the conflict with our other desires as well as with other people and with the world thus we must become conscious of our desires and articulate them and prioritize them and arrange them into hierarchies that makes them sophisticated that makes them work with each other and with the desires of other people and with the world. It is in that manner that our desires elevate themselves. It is in that manner that they organize themselves into values and become moral. 
Our values, our morality, they are indicators of our sophistication. I'm going to keep going. Religion is instead about proper behavior. It's about what Plato called the good. A genuine religious acolyte isn't trying to formulate accurate ideas about the objective nature of the world, although he may be trying to do that too. He's striving instead to be a good person. It may be the case that to him, it may be the case that to him good means nothing but obedient, even blindly obedient. Hence, the classic liberal Western Enlightenment objective, objection to religious belief. Obedience is not enough, but it's at least a start, and we have forgotten this. You cannot aim yourself at anything if you are completely undisciplined and untutored. You will not know what to, tar what to target, and you won't fly straight, even if you somehow get your aim right, and then you will conclude there is nothing to aim for. And then you will be lost. And main thing I got from there is as far as religion is instead about proper behavior. That first sentence, um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a guidebook. And I, me and J C touched touched on it, you know, briefly here and there as far as religion and how it played roles, how it's played roles, and what it's led to us thinking or how how we think now. But um, may I feel maybe. It's gone too far away from us, and I, I wanted to, I wanted to, not necessarily bring that back. Like I said, I'm not trying to save the world. I'm just trying to live a little bit better today, and hopefully, and literally try to do that just a little bit better today, and then move forward from there. I'm gonna keep going. Does that mean that what we see is dependent on our religious beliefs? Yes, and what we don't see as well. You might object, but I'm an atheist. No, you're not. And if you want to understand this, you could read Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, perhaps the greatest novel ever written, in which the main character, Raskolnikov, decides to take his atheism with true seriousness, commits what he has rationalized as a benevolent murder, and pays the price. You're simply not an atheist in your actions, and it is your actions that most accurately reflect your deepest beliefs. Those that are implicit, embedded in your being, underneath your conscious apprehensions and articulable attitudes and surface-level self-knowledge. You can only find out what you actually believe, rather than what you think you believe, by watching how you act. You simply don't know what you believe before that. You are too complex to understand yourself. It takes careful observation and education and reflection and communication with others just to scratch the surface of your beliefs. Everything you value is a product of unimaginably lengthy developmental processes, personal, cultural, and biological. You don't understand how what you want and therefore what you see is conditioned by the immense, abysmal, profound past. You simply don't understand how every neural circuit through which you peer at the world has been shaped and painfully by the ethical aims of millions of years of human ancestors and all of the life that was lived for the billions of years before that you don't understand anything you don't even know that you were you didn't even know that you were blind and to me that's very I mean, it's very deep uh and, uh, and, you know, as far as the careful observation, education, reflection, communication with others. And I, I think that's where I'm at. You know, observation, okay, trying to look inward for me. Education, okay, books I'm reading. Reflection, okay, what am I journaling? What am I thinking 90% of the time? And then communication with others. That, that, you know, that's what I'm trying to do through the podcast, whether it's with another person, whether it's you're reiterating or trying to give my point of view to the listeners. And then going out, like, it's, like I, even I told, I've told JC and I told others, on and off the podcast where it's like, why not have a good constructive conversation when we're out, when I'm out in the, in the world, you know, in society, as we'd, we'd say, it's like, yeah, communication with others. It's, it's very important building and going back to Jocko's building relationships. 
it's all it's all to me it's all connected it's one it's one big network of information and of people and some people take advantage of it some people don't maybe the way in the sense of the way Jordan Peterson would say malevolently malevolently excuse me malevolently um take advantage or maybe build relationships for their own good versus the good of uh being you know forever not not necessarily for everybody but just uh a good individual by definition we could i guess i guess we go into that tangent too but we're not and i'm gonna continue with the book let's return to the situation where your aim is being determined by something petty your aforementioned envy of your boss because of that envy the world you inhabit reveals itself as a piece of bit a place of bitterness disappointment and spite imagine that you come to a notice and contemplate and reconsider your unhappiness Further, you determine to accept responsibility for it and dare to po pose it that it might be something at least partly under your control. You crack open one eye for a moment and look. You ask for something better. You sacrifice your pettiness, repent of your envy, and open your heart. Instead of cursing the darkness, you let in a little light. You decide to aim for a better life instead of a better office. But you don't stop there. You realize that it's a mistake to aim for a better life if it comes at the cost of worsening someone else's. So you get creative. You decide to play a more difficult game. You decide that you want a better life in a manner that will also make the life of your family better. Or the life of your family and your friends. Or life of your family and friends and the strangers who surround them. What about your enemies? Do you want to include them too? You bloody well don't know how to manage that. But you've read some history. You know how enmity compounds. So you start to wish even your enemies well, at least in principle, although you are by no means yet a master of such sentiments. And that one's good. You know, it's funny because I feel like it's not, I won't say a moral virtue, but uh, definitely here, you know, don't wish. Any, or could people say, I don't wish even this on my worst enemy. It's like, yeah, because you're a human being and you. If, if we can get to that baseline of agreement of, okay, we're all human beings, even your enemies, you know, they have their perception of the world. You have your perception of the world. And frankly, I mean, what I do with my quote unquote enemies is like, just let them go. They go. They, I, I have now, at least now, especially now more than ever, is like, I understand that you see things differently than me. That's okay. I'm pretty sure we have some, we have some commonality. We still have some common things because we're human beings. We, we can probably agree on maybe the simplest thing that's maybe like food or something else, but maybe more, maybe the way we brought up, we were brought up and I'll, and usually that's where I'll get to. It's like, okay, well, Hey, how, how, how were you raised? Or, Hey, did you experience this? Or did you, did you not experience this and go from there? But point is enemies and disagreements and stuff like that. Um, it's like you just, you can let them go and you wish them well because they're going to live their life. You know, depending on how extreme your guys, your depending on how extreme the differences are between you and your enemy, um, or who you, who you came to, or who who you claim to be your enemy, um, you can go from there and be at peace with yourself because now you let that negativity go. All right, we're closing up the chapter here. This is the last bit. I'm probably gonna read a good chunk here and. Yeah, see where we're, so see where we end up. All right, this second. Let me see. Is this the last subtitle? Okay, this is the last main uh, subtitle. It's called "Pay Attention." Pay attention. Focus on your surroundings, physical and psychological. Notice something that bothers you, that concerns you, that will not let you be, which you could fix, that you would fix. You can find such some things by asking yourself, as if you genuinely want to, three questions: What is it? that is bothering me is it something i could fix and what would i actually be willing to fix it i don't know would i actually be willing to fix it if you find that the answer is no to any or all of these all the questions then look elsewhere aim lower search until you find something that bothers you that you could fix that you would fix and then fix it that might be enough for the day maybe there is 
a stack of paper on your desk and you have been avoiding it. You won't even really look at, look at it. When you walk into your room, there are terrible things lurking there. Tax forms and bills and letters from people wanting things you aren't sure you can deliver. Notice your fear and have some sympathy for it. Maybe there are snakes in that pile of paper. Maybe you'll get bitten. Maybe there are even hydras lurking there. You'll cut off one head and seven more will grow. How could you possibly cope with that? You could ask yourself, is there anything at all that I might be willing to do about that pile of paper? Would I look maybe at one part of it for 20 minutes? Maybe the answer will be no. But you look at it, you might look for 10 or even for five. And if not that, for one. Start there. You will soon find that the entire pile shrinks in significance merely because you have looked at part of it. And you'll find that the whole thing is made of parts. What if you allowed yourself a glass of wine with dinner or curled up on the sofa and read or watched a stupid movie as a reward? What if you instructed your wife or your husband to say good job after you fixed whatever you fixed? Would that motivate you? The people from whom thanks you want might not be very proficient in offering it to begin with, but that shouldn't stop you. People can learn, even if they are very unskilled at the beginning. Ask yourself what you would require to be motivated to undertake the job. Honestly, and listen to the answer. Don't tell yourself, I shouldn't need to do that to motivate myself. What do you know about yourself? You are, on the one hand, the most complex thing in the entire universe. And on the other, someone who can't even set the clock on your microwave. Don't overestimate your self-knowledge. And for me, it, that whole, of course, pay attention and so on, but the reward part, which is which is what I feel like I reiterate a good amount as far as uh, being accepting of, hey, thanks, Andy, or people ringing the bell at the gym. Hey, thanks, Andy, and they ring the bell, and, you know, oh, thanks, you know, I appreciate it. And taking compliments with a genuine thank you. All right, back to the book. And this, it is this. In my reading, that is the culminating ethic of the canon of the West. It is this, furthermore, that is communicated by those eternally confusing, glowing stanzas from Christ's Sermon on the Mount, the essence, in some sense, of the wisdom of the New Testament. This is the attempt of the spirit of mankind to transform the understanding of ethics from the initial necessary Thou shalt not of the child and the Ten Commandments into the fully articulated positive vision of the true individual. This is the expression not merely of admirable self-control and self-mastery, but of the fundamental desire to set the world right. This is not the cessation of sin, but sin's opposite, good itself. The Sermon on the Mount outlines the true nature of man and the proper aim of mankind. Concentrate on the day so that you can live in the present and attend completely and properly to what is right in front of you. But do that only after you have decided to let what is within shine forth so that it can justify being and illuminate the world. Do that only after you have determined to sacrifice whatever it is that must be sacrificed so that you can pursue the highest good. Realization is dawning. Instead of playing the tyrant, therefore, you are paying attention. You are telling the truth instead of manipulating the world. You are negotiating instead of playing the martyr or the tyrant. You no longer have to be envious because you no longer know that someone else truly has it better. You no longer have to be frustrated because you have learned to aim low and to be patient. You are discovering who you are and what you want and what you are willing to do. You are finding that the solutions of your particular problems have to be tailored to you personally and precisely. You are less concerned with the actions of other people because you have plenty to do yourself. Attend to the day, but aim at the highest good. Now, your trajectory is heavenward. That makes you hopeful. Even a man on a sinking ship can be happy with 
when he clambers aboard a lifeboat. And who knows where he might go into the future. To journey happily may, be, may well be better than to arrive successfully. Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, on, knock, and the door will be open. If you ask as if you want it, and knock as if you want to enter, you may be offered the chance to improve your life a little, a lot, completely. With that improvement, some progress will be made in being itself. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. And that's chapter four, rule four. One thing I told Gonzo last night, because I, I, knew, I knew I was going to do this chapter for today, and one thing I told Gonzo last night when we went, we went out for a little while to have some drinks, and I was like, man, I don't know how the heck Jocko re- reviews a whole book. I need to ask him, like, his tactics on, hey, man, how do you, re- I mean, mind you, we did an hour for, I did an hour for one chapter, roughly an hour, and he, I mean, his are three hours, I mean, his book reviews are generally three hours, maybe, maybe two and a half, and he does a whole book, like the chunks and pieces that he must skip out, and that's frankly why I have like probably half the books he's read on the on the or he's or he's reviewed. I now have bought because like okay, I need to read that book. I need to read that book. I need to read that book. But, anyways, you know, gotta go inside. Gotta go internal. And and I'm not preaching because I'm working on it myself. But I know where I, I know at least where I stand now. And what I want to work on, and and things are clearing up. It's 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 interesting how I mean it takes time. That that's where the patience comes in. That's where the the time and I guess dedication to yourself comes in. Where you know set aside some time, thirty minutes. You know that, that that's probably my main thing right now is like thirty minute segments. So let's say I'm studying. Well, I'm studying for thirty minutes. Let's say I'm reading. Well, I'm reading for thirty minutes. Um, of course, my work, you know, I'm working for a few hours, so, okay, I, I need to make sure, I need to, uh, that, that's time already in, that's already booked, but as far as, like, things that allow me to go internal for a little while, and also, I, I try not to do it too much, because then you can get very into your head, and then you, you, at least for me, I, I, I don't space out, I, I get so deep that I, I, I get into my own head, and it, it, it turns into a negative thing at some point, but anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed that again. You, I mean, you guys can obviously buy the book if you want, if, or if you don't already have it. Um, Twelve Rules for Life: An Antidote for Ca- An Antidote to Chaos by Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Um, that's it. My Twitter handle and Instagram handle is Andy underscore eighteen forty four. You can get at me there. Um, Facebook, you can find me. I appreciate the listen. Hopefully, again, you guys have taken one thing from this episode and we'll see what happens next week i think i'm gonna try to get brian back on he showed me some stuff earlier in the week that i'm like oh we can probably talk about that and he's like i'm down so hopefully we can if we can organize accordingly and get that going well i might get brian back on here and then we'll go from there and then and then the following week hopefully maybe i'll do chapter five i'll be done with chapter five by then hopefully i haven't i haven't started it yet but uh We'll go from there. All right, guys. You guys have a good weekend. Enjoy it. Talk to somebody. Communicate. Think about it. Think about yourself. Reward yourself. And we'll see you guys next week.